preparing ourselves to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is a victory worship service, and we're going to be seeing from a church of the New Testament how not to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as well as how to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Our topic today is this, our Savior's shared communion unites us and revives us. That's the power of communion. But how does that happen? It only happens through God's people, through an individual and a body of Christ, renewing themselves and going all the way to Calvary once again to remember, as Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When the spilled blood was spilled and the body was broken for our sake, called the vicarious substitutionary atonement of Christ, it meant that any person coming to the cross could have any and all sins forgiven as long as they came to the cross. The same is true today. Any human being on any place on planet Earth can have every sin forgiven as long as they'll come to the cross. And when they come to that cross, look to Christ and repent and receive the power of the new birth, of being born again. So today, as we look at the Lord's Supper and what that means to believers, it's our time to ask ourselves, am I giving my everything to Christ? You would think that that would be a question not necessary to ask a Christian, but that's not true. I ask it of myself often, and it helps me to renew. I wonder about you. Do you ever think about, I'm wondering if I'm giving my all to Christ or if I've gotten to the place where I'm kind of going through the motions, I enjoy it, it's comfortable, it's good, it's nice, it's special, but are you giving everything? Like Christ gave everything for you. Would you go all the way to Calvary with Him in your daily life to see how He gave Himself for us? That's why we love Him, that's why we praise Him, and that's why we give our life to Him in service and ministry. Every church needs to read the account of the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11. So first of all, let me begin reading with you by explaining something. 1 Corinthians is the first written report of the Lord's Supper. It's not Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. It's 1 Corinthians. The first recorded writing of the Bible about the Lord's Supper is in 1 Corinthians. And why there? Because that was a church. That was a body of believers, and they were known to be very lackadaisical, very casual, even carnal. And so when Paul came to write to them and then sent this letter to them, he was helping them to understand because they'd come out of the world and they were coming to the Lord's table, but they were unfortunately not really celebrating the Lord's Supper at all. That's what Paul told them. You're not really celebrating the Lord's Supper at all. Hear what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. Verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, 
there have, uh, have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Yeah, <laughs> did you hear that? Another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Now, what matter was this that he was speaking about? The celebration of the Lord's Supper. In the Corinthians church, which was very carnal as I mentioned, the church was not really celebrating the Lord's Supper, but they were really celebrating some, um, more like a potluck dinner. And in the church, there were wealthy people and poor people. And so the rich people would bring their dinner before the Lord's Supper, and they would have it separately. Before those who were less fortunate got off work and came and brought their meager meal. So the rich had a meal and the poor had a meal. The church was not together. As you heard a moment ago, Paul said, I've heard and I understand that some of you don't treat each other with respect and we're looking at the spilled blood and the broken body and we're asking ourselves, am I going to Calvary in my life? Am I willing to live for Christ in a way that cost me something? A Christian life that costs you nothing doesn't really mean much. If it costs you nothing, it means nothing. And a Christian has to ask the question, am I paying the price to really be a true Christian ambassador in the world? So now Paul, after making this initial statement, begins at verse 23, giving the Corinthian church the victory teaching to help them come back up from where they had fallen. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is the power of revelation. God revealed to Apostle Paul how this Lord's Supper was to be given and how it was to be taken and how it was to be passed on from one member to another when they celebrated the elements. They passed the torch. They passed the torch. In a moment... I should say in a few minutes, you'll be passing the elements to the one nearest you. You'll be passing the torch of faith as well. He goes on to say, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. That's unleavened bread. Has no leaven in it because leaven represents sin. The bread represents his body. And when he had given thanks, that's why this is sometimes called the Eucharist, because the Greek word for thanks is very similar and has its root from the Greek word for thanks or Eucharist. He broke it. He broke the bread symbolizing his own body, which was broken on the cross. This is my body, Jesus said, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You might want to underline that word remembrance. It's a very important word about understanding the Lord's Supper. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. New, N-E-W. What's the old? 
What are those 39 books on the left-hand side of your Bible called? The Old what? Testament or the Old Covenant. And what are the 27 books of the right side of your Bible called? The New Testament, the New Covenant. We are living in the New Covenant, but we learn from and live by also the Old Covenant. Jesus said, this cup is the New Covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, that's the word for preach, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. You preach the crucifixion. You also preach the second coming. You preach his death until he comes. He died, he was raised from the grave, he's going to return. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper Church, that's what we celebrate, the victory and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now you can very easily and quickly and readily tell that this is a very sacred time in the body of the church. It's not only victorious and triumphant, but it's also extremely powerful. So it's been said that the celebration of the Lord's Supper, by the way, is the most sacred worship of the church. Now, any pastor will tell you this truth. If the pastor announces in advance to the church, the average church, that the Lord's Supper is going to be served on Sunday morning, unfortunately, there are some who say, well, I don't really need to be there for that. That's not really what I'm going for. I'll pass on that. I'll come back the next Sunday when there's the regular church. That's unfortunately true. They're not discerning the body and the blood of Christ. And they're missing the most sacred worship that the church can have because we're honoring Christ. So this sacred worship today is called the Lord's Supper. The Last Supper is called a sacrament. Though normally we don't use that term sacrament because in the Catholic Church that term is used and it means something totally different than what the Bible means and so we just shy away from it because it's used improperly in that respect. It's also called an ordinance, O-R-D-I-N-A-N-C-E, an order from God because when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, it was not just an invite, it was actually a command. Every believer is commanded to take and why would God want us to do that? Because he knows that in our lives we get busy, we get turned away, we get preoccupied, and we forget that Christianity is Christ. It's not the congregation. Christianity is Christ. The Lord's Supper is about Christ. And so we are coming back to Christ. Do this in remembrance of me, said Jesus. Me, remember me. Because I'm the one who provides everything every Christian has, has. Now there's a certain mystery in celebrating the Lord's Supper in this power of unity. There are different theological explanations that various denominations have created to explain what this Lord's Supper means. Various denominations make doctrines to explain to their people what they think this means, and many times they bypass what the Bible actually says is the meaning 
of the Lord's Supper elements. For example, there's a teaching called transubstantiation. You want to try that with me? Transubstantiation. Say it. Transubstantiation. It means that when the priest gives the Lord's Supper, there's a miracle that happens. And the elements actually become the body of Christ. A miracle. Well, we don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. We know it's not what the Bible teaches. And then on the other hand, there's another doctrine called consubstantiation. Consubstantiation. Say it with me. Consubstantiation. And it means that when the persons take the elements by their faith, then the elements become the body of Christ and the blood of Christ with the person's faith who's taking it. Well, that's not taught in the Bible either because that too is a miracle. The Lord's Supper is not a miracle at all. The Lord's Supper elements are simply physical elements. Then if it's not transubstantiation and consubstantiation, then what is it? It's simply a commemoration. Say it with me. Commemoration. And how is it commemorated? It's commemorated by the elements that Jesus himself used. The bread. What did that commemorate? His body. The grape juice. What did that commemorate? His blood. They were symbols. They were not actually. He couldn't, even though Jesus said, this is my body, which some people improperly interpret to mean that was his body. Jesus also said, I am the door. Well, was he a door? No, he wasn't. He said, I am the gate. Was he a gate? He said, I am the bread. Was he a loaf of bread? No, he wasn't. So when Jesus said, this is my body, it was to you, unless it has a meaning to you. You are partaking of the Lord's Supper today. And only if you believe what it really and truly means, only then will it have meaning for you. And I have to say, in Christianity, each and every person celebrates the Lord's Supper to a different level. There are some Christians, their celebration of the Lord's Supper is way, way, way up here. And others who might be new Christians, their celebration is down here because they haven't learned all the wonderful things about Jesus yet. They're learning and growing and they're multiplying in faith. And soon when they take the Lord's Supper, they will be on that level too. Now right here this morning in this auditorium, each of us will celebrate the Lord's Supper according to the level of our understanding of what the Lord's Supper means. And whatever it means to you, if it's the real meaning, unlike what was happening in Corinth, then you really will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Corinthian Christians, they were Christians. They were supposedly celebrating the Lord's Supper, but they were not. They were not celebrating it at all. That's the reason this amazing passage is in the Bible. So then Paul went on to say these important words that we read a moment ago. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Now, let's talk about this idea of unworthy. What does it mean first and foremost? 
It simply means that a person could be in a church and unfortunately their idea of Christianity is I've got to work my way to heaven. I've got to do good works constantly, constantly, constantly. I'm going to try to be nice. I'm going to try to do some good things. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be a part of the worship. I'm going to be a part of the church. I'm going to try to give. I'm going to try to do something to show God that, that I'm going to follow Him. And I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying. Nobody can be saved that way. Nobody. Otherwise, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was totally useless and in vain because He died to bring us grace, which means this. Look up. You cannot work your way to heaven. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. You can't be perfect. You can't. You're a sinner. For goodness sake, you're a sinner. Don't you realize that? Sinners have to be forgiven. And the Lord's Supper is for sinners. One time at a meeting, a woman was hesitating to take the Lord's Supper and one of the men serving the elements knew the woman and he was so glad she was there that day and he said to her, woman, woman, take the element because it's for sinners and that's you and that's me. And she took it and her life was changed when, because it represented Christ and Christ came into her life that day. So yeah, you're taking it in an unworthy way if your whole idea of Christianity is man-made works and religion, as we've said many times. What is religion? It's people thinking they can reach up and take hold of Christ by their good works and bring Him down on their level, and they've got Him right here in their hands, and He does what they tell Him to do, and He acts the way they tell Him to act, and He is their Jesus. That's religion. They reshape him, reform him, recast him, reteach him. But they really can't do it. But what is Christianity? Christianity is God, the God of grace and love and compassion, reaching down here and taking hold of Chuck Brennan and you and saving you because Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross and gave us what? His righteousness. Then all of a sudden, all the things you couldn't do before when you were in a religious person, you can do now that you're a Christian because God has given you the power of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's the power to be right, think right, do right, live right. That flows from heaven and you love it. You like doing the righteous life of Christ and you can do it. You're victorious because of Christ. That's the Christian life. And when you celebrate the Lord's Supper in the spirit in which God gave it, then you will celebrate it in a worthy fashion because as we sang a moment ago, and as Bobby sang the song, is he worthy? Yes, Christ is worthy. He's the one who's worthy, who makes us worthy. He makes us worthy. So when we come to the table and we take these elements, not transubstantiation, not consubstantiation, but simply a commemoration of what Christ actually is. Here's, here it is in a nutshell. 
Jesus Christ must be internalized into you. Religion is basically external things, trappings, trappings. Internalizing Christ, receiving him, believing him, living for him, loving him, being saved by him, casting yourself upon his mercy. That's internalizing Christianity. Once it was observed by a group of people on a boat out for a nice day on the, on the, the intercoastal or the river, the guy who owned the boat was very loud. He was speeding. He was profane. He was cussing. He was making sexual innuendo remarks to the women. And uh, he kept this up, but right here on his chest, he had a shirt off. He had a big tattoo of a cross. But his mouth was filthy. His brain was filthy. His lifestyle was wrong. His religion was only skin deep. That's all it was. Externals. Nothing in his heart. Nothing in his mind, nothing in his morals, nothing in his relationships. And that's the difference between religion and regeneration, Christianity. I'm probably belaboring the point, but I want to share this illustration with you before we celebrate and share the elements of the Lord's Supper this morning. Years ago, I went to Dallas, Texas to... First Baptist Church there when W.A. Criswell was pastor. I didn't hear him give this true illustration, but I read of it at a later time. When Dr. Criswell was explaining the elements of the Lord's Supper to his church, he used this illustration, and I want to conclude with it before we celebrate because it's so meaningful, so relevant. He said that he, would, went, he was invited to the home of a very wealthy member of his church. And when he got there, he went into the study, the library. And uh, as soon as he walked in, Dr. Criswell saw this huge oval picture, huge oval picture. And the picture was a, of an, it was a picture of an old-fashioned girl, a young woman, an old-fashioned picture of an old-fashioned young woman. And as soon as Dr. Criswell walked in, the host turned to him and said, Dr. Criswell, this is my mother. She died giving me birth. I've never seen her. I never knew her. But this is my mother. Dr. Criswell thought to himself, you know, I could say to him, Sir, you're all wrong. That's, this cannot be. This is my mother. That's just a picture. That's just a symbol of your mother. That is not your mother. He said, but you will. He was thinking to himself. He didn't say this. But you will meet your mother in heaven. But that is not your mother. That is a representation of your mother. But one day you will see her. And he went on to say to the people of his church, 
is exactly so with us and our Lord Jesus Christ. In the elements, this is His body, this is His blood, because it pictures the Lord Jesus, the spilled blood and the broken body. It pictures the way of suffering. It pictures what Christ has done. And He's in heaven. He's not there in it. He's in us. And we celebrate it as we take it. But one day, we will go to Him. And we will see Him. But this helps us to remember, how did we get there? The way of suffering. The way of the cross. That's Christianity. And to take it for any other reason than to say, I take this today because Jesus Christ shed His blood for me. His body was broken for me. That's why I do this. To remember, not to let the world make me forget. Not to let my own desires and self-interest push Jesus aside and cause me not to remember Him every day of my life. Not to think of Him and live for Him and speak for Him. And not to ever forget that there are people who are lost like I was who need to hear a good word of hope and love from somebody like me. Because I know. I know what I know. I know Christ. And I can help other people know Christ. That's why this account in 1 Corinthians 11 says, you proclaim His death until He comes. You proclaim it. You preach it. You show it. You demonstrate it. And of course, that death of Christ, that He died on the cross, was unlike any other death. His death was the greatest death that had ever been experienced. Because through His death, we can die to sin and live eternally in the resurrected body. It was the most effective death that ever took place. Because through His death, He paid the penalty for our sins and forgave us of our sins and has thrown them away into the sea of forgetfulness, sinking down to the bottom, an effective death. It's the most compassionate death that ever took place. When He was dying on the cross, He took one of the other men who were crucified that day to heaven with Him who believed in Him that day. It was the most holy death ever experienced. The Holy One of God died on that cross and was buried. And it was a vicarious death. He died it for us. He died in our place vicariously. And we live vicariously in Him because we believe in Him as our life and we live through Him. He substituted for us by taking our sins and we receive Him and we are living for Him as a living Christian today. That's a victorious death. That's a victorious life. And only God gives that to us. So I say to you, my dear friend, who's today watching perhaps by Facebook or some other means, I pray that you will take this to heart and go to a pastor or a friend who's a Christian and find out how, if you're not a Christian, how you can become one. And be sure to go to your church as quickly as you can when you know they're having the Lord's Supper. And throw yourself into the Lord's Supper. And experience it only as a real Christian can. And we 